Thank you for joining the Together Church Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Our prayer is is that today's message will inspire you and help you move closer to Jesus. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, last week we started a series on Jonah, and I hope you guys learned a lot. Maybe you you had some opportunity this weekend to go back and reread the the first chapter. Today we're going to look at the second chapter. And in this whole series, what we've looked at about Jonah is we're looking at God's great love and his relentless pursuit of sinful people from these renegade cities like Nineveh to these rebellious prophets like Jonah. Nobody is beyond God's reach. Would you agree with me when I say that? that there's nobody that is beyond God's reach. And last week, what we saw is we saw Jonah rejecting God's call telling him, you go to Nineveh, you go minister to the people of Nineveh, but he found himself floating in a sea of regret because Jonah quickly became disobedient and said, I don't want to do that. I know that you've called me to do it, but I want to put some distance between what you've called me to and what's comfortable to me. So Jonah goes and he pays all this money and he boards a boat in Joppa and he boards it and he's on the way to Tarsus, which is in Spain. And then in the midst of all this, a storm comes, causes mass havoc. The people are scared. They're crying out to every God that they know they've ever heard of. Jonah, who had the answer, who serves the God, the living God, is found to be asleep in the bottom of the boat. They bring him up. He begins to tell what's happening. They cast lots, and they realize that Jonah is the reason that the storm is here. They had a little bit of grace because they decided not to throw him overboard. But after a few more minutes in the storm, they decided it was time for, to get rid of the heavy weight. They grab Jonah, and they throw Jonah out into the water. And that is where we ended the story last week, and we're going to pick it up this week, of Jonah floating in the sea of regret. He has literally hit rock bottom at this point. And God's going to use... Jonah, he's going to rescue him. He's going to help redirect his thoughts. He's going to redirect his actions. So in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it starts this way. In the Lord, and I want you to notice this of what Scripture says. In the Lord appointed, he appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So not every bad thing that you go through that you think is bad is from the enemy. Sometimes God will allow you to go through things. He will appoint things for you to go through. And he says this great fish swallowed up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So Jonah hits the water, and the sea becomes very still. And Jonah's thinking to himself, oh, okay, that was easy. Now I'm just going to float out here on the debris. The storm has ceased. The sailors are safe. I am safe. We're good. Jonah was not good because it says that God sent this great fish to gulp Jonah up. This was the equivalent of an ancient Uber ride. So God sends this well to come grab him. It swallows Jonah. Jonah finds himself in the belly of the well. And God sends this fish in, in an effort to get Jonah to put him back on track where he needed to be. You want to go in the opposite direction then I will reroute your path by sending this fish who will grab you and take you to where you need to be. And so what God is wanting to do here is he's wanting to put Jonah back where he's supposed to be. Just physically, mentally, 
And spiritually, God wants to get Jonah back. It just goes to show us that there's no place and no one that is outside of God's jurisdiction, and there's no one outside of his reach, even out in the middle of the sea floating in regret. God sends the answer to get Jonah back to where he needs to be. So you and I, we can run to the far reaches of the earth. We can run anywhere we want to run. And God is still nearer than he ever has been. And David writes this in Psalm 139. He says this, and the, he says, um, I can never escape from your spirit. He says, I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. And David writes these words that Jonah is going to mimic here in just a moment because he's going to kind of go through the same process. Because it's going to be in the belly of the well, the place that he least expected it, that he's going to find God. He's going to have an encounter in this place of solitude in the belly of a well. He's going to find God. Now, here's the thing that we got to think about. Being in the belly of this big fish was not a comfortable place. At this point, you know, fish have these gastric acids that are in their stomach and Jonah's ear. Some people believe that his skin probably got bleached. Who knows? But it was an awful experience. The smell alone would have been awful. The temperature would have been super hot. And the smell of that would have been horrendous with other dead things that this fish had eaten. I mean, I kind of think of it as being like a, a trash can that's full in the middle of August in Berkeley County that's hot and humid. You, you guys open the trash lid and realize <laughs> probably shouldn't open that trash lid. And the smell would have been bad. But even in that place of filth and pain, God is there. And Jonah has got to recognize this. He's got to recognize that God is still in the midst. I believe that what we have lost today is that we have not recognized that God is there. That God is right here with us. He is where everywhere that we go. God is in the middle of the pain, but he's also in the middle of the celebration of life when good things are happening. And so, in that place, God is with Jonah. The news today is no matter how far you may feel from God, He is closer than you think. He is closer than you think. He is just a cry away from us of calling out to Him and acknowledging that God is here. Now, this premier prophet, this Jonah, hasn't recognized this yet. So it just goes to show that no matter how close you are to God, there will be days that you will feel far from God because you've taken your eyes off of Him. You haven't heard from Him. This is why we say it's so important for us to be in the Word of God and to be praying constantly, be in a state of constant prayer so that we know where God's at work, so that when life comes up against us, we know that God's already got His hand on this. It's already being taken care of, that He's not surprised. So here's... Jonah in this well, fish, feeling distant. But God is near him. At the lowest point of life, he's in the belly of the fish at the bottom of the sea. This is a far cry from where he wanted to be. The original plan was, get on the boat, go to Tarsus. This is not where he thought he would find himself when he bought that ticket. you got to remember that Jonah is in the situation because he refused to go to Nineveh. 
And the two reasons that he refused to go was number one, they were cruel people. They were cruel people. They would cause pain to the Israelites. They would conquer them and they were brutal. So he didn't want to go minister to the people that were the enemy of Israel. And then in Jonah chapter 3, it tells us something interesting. It tells us the second reason. Because he didn't want them to experience the mercy and forgiveness of God. And he's a prophet. He's to share the words of God with the people. And God has given him a word. But his bitterness and anger is so much against the Ninevites that he doesn't even want them to experience the mercy and the grace of God. And here's the interesting thing. In just a moment, Jonah's going to start crying out to God because the thing that he's supposed to go preach to the Ninevites is the very thing that he's going to be asking for here in just a moment in the middle of the fish. So oftentimes that we'll ask God for things that we're not willing to give to others. And this is where Jonah has gotten himself. That there's a, a fear. There's a fear that if I go there, they're going to kill me. And if I go there and they don't kill me, then they're probably going to accept God's grace and mercy and I'm, they're going to become brothers and sisters. And I don't know that I want that because I know these people. These people don't belong here. And you know, Jonah says no. I think for us, a lot of people will obey God up until the place where it begins to touch the core of who we are. God, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But when that thing begins to interfere and God says, well, you need to do this. You've got to end this relationship. You've got to quit that job. You need to go pursue this. Whoa, time out. I was going to do it up until it began touching some of those personal pieces of my life. And this is Jonah. His no. He was all gung-ho to do anything God called him to do except this thing of going to Nineveh. It was good up until it touched the place and the core of who he was and his comfort level. So this is his disobedience. And this disobedience has led Jonah to a dark and lonely place. Look as we continue into Jonah chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I cried out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. And out of the belly of Sheol, out of the belly of hell, I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all of your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said that I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. There's a key word in that passage I hope you picked up on. But verse 1 starts out with this word, then, 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 as in Jonah has been in this fish for three days. He's been in this uncomfortable place for three days, and then he begins to pray. It took him three days to pray and get out of this situation. Because Jonah lays here, being stubborn, refusing to move, not trusting, just upset and bitter. For three days he laid there. Then he cries out in his distress to God and says, this is where I am. Where are you? I need you. And he recognizes that God is in the presence. But it took him some time. In, in other words, with, with Jonah, he says, out of the depths of hell I've cried and you heard my voice, the good news for us this morning is God hears you. He hears you. 
So just like God heard Jonah at his lowest, he also hears when you call out to him. He wants to know the things that are going on in your life. He, he wants to have relationship with you. The whole scripture is God mending to restore and redeem the broken relationship that was because he longs to have relationship with his people. So God is near us. He hears us. And he, the Bible tells us that he's near to those who are brokenhearted. I love the way the message translation words this in Psalm 34, 18, but it says, if your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. What, what strong words to use. That this is the God who hears. When we're broken, God knows exactly where we are. If it's in the middle of broken relationships or in the middle of the ocean, literally in the belly of the fish, God hears us because he's a God of proximity. And this is good news. Our God is a God of proximity. Other religions, their God's not a God of proximity. You've got to go places to find him. See, this is what the thought was when they put Jesus in the tomb, that that's where he was going to stay and we would make our pilgrimage to Israel and see him. But to their surprise, in three days, he wasn't there anymore because God is not held or constrained to one place. He is everywhere. He's multiple places at one time. The Bible says that he is omnipresent. So our creator is always near and present in his creation, regardless of whether we feel that he's close or not. He's always at work. He's always moving. He's always around. We have to acknowledge that he's a God of proximity. He wants to be close. So he hears us because of the nearness. We may not always feel as if God is near to us, but we can be sure that he always draws to his people. Always. And we don't need to go looking for some type of special mountaintop experience to experience God. We can find God even in the mundane of life. Even in the normal routines of life, we can find God at work because he's near. Just remind yourself of that constantly, that God is here right now. God is here right now. The, the Apostle Paul understood the, the nearness of God when he was writing in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 29. He kind of summarizes that the God who, who made the world and everything in it, the master of the sky and land, doesn't live in custom-made shrines or need the human race to run errands for him. As if he couldn't take care of himself, he makes the creatures, the creatures don't make him. So starting from scratch, he made the entire human race and he made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living so that we could seek after God, not just to grope around in the dark and try to find him as if God is playing some form of hide and seek. He says that he doesn't play hide and seek with us. He's not remote. He is near and we live and move in him and we can't get away from him. I love what Charles Spurgeon wrote, he was the prince of preachers, but in 1870, he wrote this in a sermon. He said, so near, so very near to God, we cannot nearer be, for in the person of his son, we are as near as he. What, what true words this morning. This is where Jonah is thinking. This is where Jonah's crying out, and God hears his distress. He recognizes the nearness of God. In the belly of the fish, he, he understands this 
God hears my cries. And to hear it, he's got to be in proximity to me. So he begins his prayer. And he's praying and asking God and thanking God. This is a prayer of thanksgiving. And he's still in the belly of the fish. Did you catch that? He hasn't gone anywhere yet. But he is praising and thanking God for what he's going to do in advance. His Bible says this in Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 5. It says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land whose bars closed up me forever. And yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. In Jonah's prayer, he's recounting the nearness of his impending death. He had a near-death experience. He thought he was going to die on the boat. Then they threw him off, and he thought he was going to die in the ocean. But God provided debris for him to hang on. And then the fish ate him, and he thought he was going to die. And then he wakes up and realizes he's still alive. He's very thankful because he's gotten a lot of second chances. And so he's thanking God of his impending death at the bottom of the sea where he says these roots begin wrapping around him. What he was saying was, I am so far down, I'm at the vegetation at the bottom. You can't get any lower than where I'm at. But God has come in. He's aware, God is fully aware of Jonah's situation. He's attentive to Jonah's situation. And God is able to save Jonah at his lowest point. Let me tell you this, that God is not in any way, shape, or form intimidated or confused by the mess that we find ourselves in. God actually longs to be in the mess with us. This is why he sent Jesus into the world. He sent Jesus into the mess with us so that he could show us the better way, so that we could have this relationship that he so longs for us to have. So God is present with us even in our mess. And when we read this passage of Jonah 2, 5 through 6, what it tells us here, if we summarize it, is that God saves you. God hears you. He hears your cry. And that's good. We want to be heard. But a lot of times we want to be heard because we need somebody to help us get out of where we are. And he says that God hears, but God also saves you. I have learned personally, even in the midst of my disobedience, that God wants to sharpen me and mold me and transform me to be more like him, even in the midst of my disobedience. He wants to teach. He wants to show me. But the thing about that is, disobedience sometimes comes with discipline. And I don't like discipline. I don't know about you, but I never liked discipline growing up. Still don't like discipline, but it's part of life. And God is disciplining, giving this discipline to Jonah right now. And he's having to trust as his trust factor. Because he's in the bottom of the ocean surrounded by the walls of this fish and there's a trust that has to happen God hears and God's going to save I've got to trust that he's going to do that I may not like the situation that I'm in it may not look like this is going to happen to the way that I think it's going to happen because for Jonah knew that nothing was going to plan so far but there had to be this trust that he had to have that even though it doesn't look like I want it to I've got to trust that God's going to save me here So we have to have a trust, trusting that God's going to deliver us through the mess, trusting that God wants to save us. That is his desire that all may come to him. Trust, Psalm 56, 8 tells us this, is that God not only sees our tears, but it tells us that God also collects our tears. He collects them. 
how much of a God would love us that not only to see the tears, but actually collect the tears. That means that my hurt and your hurt is more precious to him than we could ever imagine. He, he's, it's, remember, we serve a God of empathy. He empathizes with us. And the, that kind of response from him means that he's a trustworthy God who's working the situations out regardless of how we may think is the better way. He is working it out in his way. And this is where Jonah is. I've got to trust that God has heard my cry. I've recognized his nearness. God's going to save me from this place. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I trust that he has the better way. The Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways. So God will ultimately rescue Jonah physically. But But first, he graciously gives Jonah his time, and he gives Jonah space to consider his actions and his heart over a period of three days from inside the belly of this fish. It's kind of like being put in timeout. So think of it in those terms. How many of you have ever been put in timeout at school? A lot of, see, a lot of people with their halos right here, you're polishing them. Some of you know that you've been in timeout either at home or at school. And what is timeout for? Timeout is to say, you've messed up. So what I want you to do, because I remember in school, I got timeout one time. And my timeout from was not going to recess and playing on the monkey bars. Because you know the monkey bars was the place to be. That's where you got to talk to everybody, that you got all the gossip of the school, and you got to flex on some people of showing them how strong you were doing the two chin-ups that you could do on the monkey bars. But when you got time out, you had to go stand on the fence, and you had to walk laps. Why walk laps? Because they wanted you to burn all that energy off so you wouldn't go back in the classroom. And the teacher would always say, Robbie, I want you to think about what you've done, And then after recess, you're going to come back and tell me what you've done. I never thought about what I did. I was just thinking about, man, I'm missing out on the monkey bar experience right now. And I never would come. And what what her whole point was, was, hey, I really just want you to process what you've done. You need some time to really think about what you did. You need to think about why it's disrespectful to talk in class when I'm talking. You've got to understand that. So I'm going to put you in a place to consider it. With your kids, you say, hey, you've broken this rule. I'm going to put you in your room, and you're going to sit in your room, and I want you to think about it. I want you to process what it is that you've done. I still love you. I heard you. I'm going to help save you. Even though I may want to end your life, I'm going to save you. But I want you to know that you need to be put in a place right now so that you can have some space to think. And this is where Jonah is. He's in this space because he's in disobedience. And God has given him space so that he can recalibrate life and his decisions that he's made. Understand, God is still right in the middle of this space, but he's providing it to learn. And so Jonah has this space to consider his actions, and he's got his space to consider his heart. And we have to understand that while God is powerful, God is also patient. He is patient. He often puts us in places where we can stop and prayerfully just contemplate our actions in our lives. He doesn't go, oh, well, you messed up. I'm done with you and shoot a lightning bolt down and get rid of us. He's patient with his people. He's patient with his creation. And so when he puts us in these places, we have moments to to work with that patience of God 
helping us and guiding us with the work of the Spirit to help us to contemplate where it is that we've gone wrong and have sinned and gotten off on disobedience so that we can move back to this place to trust and obey just like Jonah. You can write this down because it's truth, but God creates space for you. He creates space for you. And it's not a bad thing. Time out was felt like a bad thing, but in the end, it was a really good thing to be in time out. Because you learned a valuable lesson. Whatever it was that you did, you just learned why you shouldn't do those things. You learned the effects of why those things happened. You also had really sore legs from walking around the fence the entire hour recess. <laughs> and so God creates this space. And I, I just, in, in getting ready to close, I, I just want to give you a couple of two of the places that God gives in these spaces. And your space may not be in the belly of a well, but he creates the space for you. He creates a space for you to listen. We want to be heard. We want God to hear us. But God, there's, there comes a time in this relationship that God needs us to be quiet for a moment and hear him. To hear him. He says in Jonah 2.7, When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I remembered. I remembered all the stuff that you had done for me in the past. I'm in a bad situation, but your goodness just kept coming to my mind. I was able to hear your voice. I was able to bring up these things that you had done. God hears our prayers. But we've got to stop talking to hear his sometimes. And just get alone and get quiet. We have to practice active listening of constantly having our radar. This is why when we're in the Word and we're praying, this, this boosts our active listening skills with God because it helps us to be quite aware of what He's doing, how He's doing, and when He's speaking and when He's not speaking. And so we got to practice this active listening. And sometimes for us to be able to hear, we've got to get away from distractions. For Jonah, it, it took his distraction, had to get away, get off the ship. It had to get away from Joppa to get to a place that he could act. God literally had to put him in the deepest place in the world to speak to him because he wasn't listening in the normal realms <laughs> because all he heard was his heart. All he heard was what was his gut feeling that, man, being in Spain would be so much better than going to Nineveh. So God said, let's put you in a timeout so we can get you to this place. I'm going to create a space for you, for you to be able to listen. And so we have got to get away from all distractions to hear what it is that God's trying to say to us. What is God telling us? What kind of action is he calling us to? Listening to God should always be followed by obedience. Always should be followed by obedience. So he gives us a space to listen, and here's the second God also gives us space to obey. Always gives us space to obey. He hears you. He saves you. We listen. And then we obey. We obey. He says in verse 7, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Which is interesting, by the way, if we just stop right there. One of the things that Israel was warned over and over again was their idol worship. And, and they were calling out Nineveh for their worship of idols. But 
Jonah is dealing with an idol right now, and he's confessing it. And his idol is himself. He is more concerned in worshiping of himself and his agenda than he is of that of God's, and he's confessing that. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, remember, he's in the bottom of the pit. With the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So after this time of this prayerful contemplation inside this fish, Jonah comes to see that salvation comes from the Lord. He's called to go to Nineveh. He knows he's called. He's in disobedience. Is why he finds himself where he is. And when he realizes that God has saved him and how disobedient he has been and how he's turned to idolatry, he realizes the salvation that belonged to the Ninevites is not from me anyway. It is from God. I'm just the messenger. So he's having to process this. But it took time to get to a silent place for God to be able to clearly speak that into him. It wasn't God who had the communication issue, by the way. It was Jonah's heart. His idol was keeping him from hearing from God. There's an old saying in the Reformed theology world that the heart is an idol-making machine. That we will make idols out of anything and everything. And those, every one of those idols will keep us from hearing God when those are the things that we serve. So here's Jonah. That... He's contemplated. He comes to see that salvation comes from God. And the truth is not only descriptive of what Jonah has personally experienced, but this is also prescriptive of the message that God's called him to preach. Because sometimes God's going to have you experience stuff before you can go preach it. So alive and aware of God's ability to save anyone, anywhere, Jonah arrives at the end of this aquatic travel and is abruptly vomited into the dry land by the fish. He's spit out in the place that he should have gone to start with. And when he emerges from the belly of this fish, he submerges fully surrendered to do God's will. But understand, he still hates the Ninevites. He's still got an issue with the Ninevites. And God's like, we'll work on that. But we're going to work on your relationship with me first. Because when you get the relationship with me first, That relationship with the Ninevites will change. And so he's emerging, obeying, because he doesn't want to get sent back to the belly of the fish again. And he's not going to be happy about going to the Ninevites, but he's going to do what thing that God's called him to do. This, by the way, is a picture of most religious people, is that they know it's stupid to run from God, but they're never learned to love like God loves. And there's a point where you surrender to God because you feel like you have to. Most religious people feel like they have to do these things. But then there's a point where you start to love like God does. That you start to do what God does because you desire the things that God desires. And the things of God are not a burden anymore. They're a delight. Because we've learned to trust Him. We've learned to desire the things that He desires. If we summed everything up this morning, I'd sum it up this way. God can hear your prayer. He can save you and create a space for you to listen to 
and obey him even when you're at your lowest point. Even when you're at your lowest point. We have got to make it a practice that we pray and hear from God and act on those things. Pray, hear, be active. A lot of times we pray and we go be active. And we never take time to hear. And when we choose not to take time to hear, we will find ourselves in disobedience because that's the part that we mess up on so often. So I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that God would would do a work in your life. And maybe there's some places that you already feel stuck, that you need some places to surrender. Or maybe you're like, I've prayed a lot about things. And maybe you have. You've prayed a lot about specific things. And you're like, God's just not answering. Maybe God has, but what he wants to do is put you in this place to listen and hear from him because there may be a completely different way. Because if I had gotten every prayer that I've ever prayed answered, especially as a teenager, I'd have had a super sweet car, I'd have had a large bank account and a mansion, and I would have played professional football. But God made me 5'7", and that wasn't going to happen. But what I just needed to do was put my play, myself in a position to hear from Him and just listen to what He wanted us to do. So I want to pray that we would be a church, you would be a, a people of God that will actively cry out and hear and obey. Can we pray this morning and then we're going to sing a song of worship of surrender and then we're going to get ready to close. Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. And Lord, we are so quick sometimes to be like Jonah and, and worry about things and not even pray, just sit there in bitterness and stubbornness sometimes. And it takes us a while before we realize, oh, I should pray about it. But God, I just pray that prayer would always be our first, first motive, the first thing that we do. And after we spend time praying, that God, we would spend just as much time listening for what you have to say. And when we get that word from you, that we would go be obedient and do the thing that you've called us to. So we surrender to that because your ways are better than our ways. Your ways are higher than our ways. So Lord, right now, I just pray for every person in this room, every person watching online, that you would move into their life. There's a point of obedience today that they need to take. And it may just be, God, that they need to spend more time just praying. They need to spend more time listening. Maybe they've got the hearing and listening down, but it's just an obedience. May your Holy Spirit convict us in the places that we need to, that we need to change. That you will transform us. And God, no matter what happens in this room today, we pray that you and you ultimately would be glorified among all things. And we pray these things in the most powerful name spoken on this side of heaven and as the name of Jesus. And we pray this. Amen.